Hey everybody, this is Ernie Johnson, and welcome to EJ's Game Plan. It's your guide to working in sports media. Today we'll be talking to Joe Underhill, a senior researcher and field producer at Turner Sports. Hey guys, thanks for joining me on the EJ's Journalism School. We'll get started here in about a minute. My name is Joe Underhill. Uh, some of you know me as Underdog because of a uh, nickname EJ gave me about probably a decade ago. And if EJ gives you a nickname, then it, it kind of sticks. So I've um, been lucky enough to work on Inside the NBA for the last uh, 12, 13 seasons. So, I mean, one of the luckiest uh, people on the planet, I feel like. I mean, I got the job when I was about 25 years old. And, I mean, as a sports fanatic, you really can't uh, – you know, you can't ask for more than that, but I'm just one of about 50, 75 people to work on the show, and uh, lucky enough that EJ gives me shout-outs and all that, so, uh, but, you know, everybody on the show is very crucial, so, um, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just been blessed, but um, tell you a little bit about, a little bit about myself, and then I'll answer some, uh, some questions you guys have, if you have any, so, uh, I grew up in a little town in Florida called Barberville, um, little one-stop light town. I didn't even have a high school in the town I went to. I went to uh, a, uh, a local, uh, uh, the high school I went to was in Pearson, Florida, was that, which is actually the high school that Chipper Jones started at. And uh, his, his dad actually was my seventh grade algebra teacher, but it was basically in the middle of, uh, just Florida, the middle of nowhere. So, um, but, you know, just grew up a sports fanatic. I played everything you can think of. I played flag football and basketball and uh, but honestly, my favorite sport was baseball, and, and uh, I got all, you know, I basically became a sports fanatic because my dad, I mean, he coached me in a lot of the sports, and he was a good athlete as, as, a, as a kid, but, uh, you know, like most, most kids just grew up, you know, loving sports, and so then when I started the near, um, you know, college age, I knew I wanted to work in sports, but I didn't even know what that meant. I mean, I didn't even know what was out there. So um, when I got to the University of Florida, I was a, a public relations major. And one of the, uh, it, to be a PR major, it, it's in the journalism school and it's, you take almost all the same classes as the journalists do. There's just a few separate classes that, that separates the major. And one of the early uh, classes I had was a lab and the assignment was journalism lab. And the assignment was to um, interview the person right next to you and write about their life up to that point. So I just, by a stroke of luck, the guy sitting next to me in journalism class was a guy named Patrick Smythe. Uh, Patrick Smythe was working for the sports information office, um, which if you're not familiar with that, basically every college has a media relations office that covers all the, all the sports. So, you know, the, for, you know, women's tennis, for, you know, volleyball, for what, whatever sports that your school has somebody will be assigned to do all the media relations stuff with it so basically put out game notes and and uh you know get press row set up and just do everything that the college um needs to do for you know to, to hold a sporting event and let the media have access so he was working for uh the sports information office as an intern and basically i interviewed picked his brain for the next 15 minutes you know did my assignment wrote about it and then after class i asked him more about it i said oh that sounds amazing i never heard about that can you help me get uh get in there as a student assistant and he did help me get a um get a job there with the sports information office just as a student assistant it was an unpaid internship and that's kind of how my career got started uh just lucky enough that a guy sitting next to me in journalism class you know basically got me on the path to where i am today and uh Funny story. Now Patrick Smythe is the head of uh, public relations for the Denver Broncos. So he, I think he, I want to say he was the youngest PR director in NFL history uh, several years ago. So uh, just funny how how life works out. If he had been sitting on the other side of the room, who knows what who I would have interviewed and you know where I would have gone. So, uh, but yeah, just it's funny how things work. But I started out there in the sports information office, um, and then after college, um, so I worked for the. Um, mainly worked for the women's basketball and women's tennis programs at Florida. I also um, worked a little bit of football and, and uh, basketball, but that was kind of a secondary role, but I helped, you know, do the, do the media guides. I helped uh, produce a, a daily um, just basically flyer for the women's tennis program and just did all kinds, you know, helped just basically did all, did all kinds of work just to help out the, the head of the department. So it was just basically just to get your foot in the door and learn the industry. Um, that internship, um, helped me get, um, 
my first uh, my first paid internship, which was uh, in Tampa, in Tampa, the Tampa Sports Authority. So basically, it's uh, there's an organization that runs Raymond James Stadium where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers play, and so a connection I made at the Sports Authority helped me get that that job there. So I mean, kind of if you've watched any of um, Ernie's journalism classes here in the last you know two weeks, a theme that comes up through a lot of people is just networking and just, you know, basically just kind of go wherever your path takes you. I mean, you know, you know, you just have to kind of keep your, I think it's important to have goals, to have, to have a plan, but I think it's also important to just kind of keep your eyes open and see opportunities that that, that come your way. So, uh, but anyway, so went to Tampa, uh, did that internship. And then, um, my boss there, um, knew somebody that worked with the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, so, so I would do my, uh, nine to five job there at the Tampa sports authority. And then I would drive across the bridge over to St. Pete and I would work for the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, just another, just, just an unpaid internship. So I would, so that kind of got my foot in the door in baseball. And that, that's where eventually I wanted to be. I, I wanted to be a PR director for a baseball team. This is what I wanted. I've always been a baseball guy. Um, so, so I, you know, did that for two or three months. And then uh, they have what's called the baseball winter meetings every year. And that year they were in Anaheim, California. So I knew I wanted to get in baseball at this point. And this was, uh, internet, you know, was around, but I mean, you still, the mail was, was the primary way you contact people. So, um, so I put all these binders together and I sent out binders to basically everybody uh, in baseball. I think it's sent one to every, all 30 teams. And, uh, luckily, and I also send emails out too. They have uh, media directory, so I would I send emails out, and then I sent uh, binders with all my writing samples from the University of Florida and, and different places. And I said, "Hey, I'm going to be out at the winter meetings, and I would love to sit down and, and discuss a career with you, if possible." So probably I'd say about a third of the teams uh, got back to me and said, "Hey, yeah, if we can, if we can make it work, great." And um, I mean, so I went out there and I would meet with teams, and you know, in the hotel lobby between, you know. The, the reason they were out there is because, you know, a lot of the trades happen and, and all that kind of stuff, at the winter meetings. So that's why all the PR directors are out there. But basically it was like, I just got, got cell phone numbers from a lot of people. And, and they basically said, I don't know when I can meet with you, but uh, it may be I may have five minutes notice. And, and, you know, and so somebody would send me a text and say, Hey, can you meet at the Starbucks in, in 15 minutes and we'll talk for 10 minutes. So I met with a lot of teams there and there's also a job fair. I met with a lot of minor league baseball teams there. So anyway, so jump ahead. I thought I had gotten the job with the uh, Albuquerque Isotopes, which is a AAA team out in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And uh, they basically, they, they hired me. And, um, and I was getting ready to move out there. And about, a, I would say, probably two or three weeks before my move, I got a call back and they said, hey, you know, the internship we gave you, it doesn't exist anymore. The guy's going to come back for a third season as a third, third year intern. So I was crushed. I was devastated. But actually, you know, a lot of times things work out for the best. And about two weeks later, uh, the Braves, who I interviewed with out out Anaheim, uh, they offered me their spring training internship in in, uh, in Orlando. And I was living in Florida, um, you know, still living in Tampa at the time. So that was an easy. My sister was also living in Orlando, so it was nice. I could live with her while I took that internship. So it's funny how things work out because I was crushed for about a week uh, after I, after the, the isotope said they weren't going to give me the job, and then it all kind of worked out. So uh, I took that job, and then I ended up uh, they ended up uh, letting me come on and spend the whole season in Atlanta. And then while I was with the Braves uh, as, a, as a PR intern, uh, I met a lot of people with TBS. And at that time, you know, if you're a Braves uh, baseball fan, you know that for years TBS um, – covered all the Braves games. So I met all the people uh, on the, the, the TV broadcast while I was a Braves intern. And at that time, I didn't know anything about TV. I didn't take any TV classes in college. I didn't, I didn't know anything about it. So, um, so I spent my time as, a, um, as an intern there. After I would get done with work, I would go spend time in the TV truck. And uh, there were two, I mean, a lot of people, you know, gave their time um, and just kind of taught me the industry there. But two people that really, really helped me out were um, a guy named Tim Smith. He was a high home camera operator. And I would just go, you know, sit there and just kind of chat with him between innings. And he would just, uh, you know, chat with him before and after the game. And he would just teach me all about cameras and, and just all the main role of all that. And another uh, contact was Glenn Diamond, who, uh, who produced Braves baseball for many, many years. Um, so... Anyway, my internship ends in in, uh, in Atlanta, 
and with the Braves. I can't find any jobs in media relations. I'm looking all around. So I actually moved back to Florida and um, start helping out with my high school baseball team just to, you know, just to do something. And, but I kept in contact with Glenn Diamond and he offered me, a, a, you know, I told him, I said, Hey, if you can, if anything ever comes up, I would love to move back to Atlanta and, and, and start doing TV work. And um, luckily he took me seriously and he called me one day and he said, Hey, I almost didn't even call you because it's such a, a small job, but I have a secondary stat uh, job in, in the Braves booth that only pays $75 a game. Um, but if you wanted it, it's yours, uh, you'd obviously have to move back to Atlanta. So that was basically five, $6,000 all, all I was guaranteed, but it was my foot in the industry. So I, I didn't hesitate at all. So I moved back to Atlanta and uh, basically got into that. At first, I didn't even know how I was going to pay the bills. So I actually found, found a guy on Craigslist uh, that would help me rebuild his house uh, to pay rent for the first three or four months. And then I started waiting tables and picking up other work. And I was able to actually you know, pay for my rent somewhere else at one point. But it's just there's sacrifices you have to make. But uh, and then I after a year and a half or so of, of freelance work, I ended up getting hired with with uh, with Turner full time. And um, so kind of the rest is history. I've been with uh, Turner Sports full time for about 13 years. So um, let me go back to some of these questions. If I. Uh, so one of them is uh, favorite favorite part of your job. So. Uh, I started out as a um, just a um, researcher. So basically, my job is I prep for the game and I send my notes to all the, the broadcasters who, who are going to be on the air. Um, so and then I also help the production assistants um, with their with their notes. Um, so I send all that stuff out, and then uh, you know for prep, I'll send notes to the producer and send show ideas and things like that, and then I'll get in. Uh, to the office, and we'll go through a production meeting, and then um, and then we basically just wait to see what happens with, with the game. So I mean, you do as much prep as you can, and then and then you just kind of react to, to to what happens. So you want to be prepared so you know what the storylines might be. Um, so you want to know what records are going to happen that night. What you know what what records have a chance of happening. So you want to be as prepared as you can. But then once the the ball's tipped off, or if you're doing baseball, you know first pitcher, all that. You're um, then you just react. So then you just see what's important. And then, um, you know, there's a number of different resources I use. The Elias Sports Bureau is the main one. Um, so they have a website and they also, there was also a, um, a daily um, uh, chat room. So it started out as an AIM chat room. Um, and then we switched over to a program called Slack. Uh, so it allows us to uh, chat with the Elias Sports Bureau. Um, so they'll answer any kind of crazy historical questions. Like the Elias Sports Bureau actually knows more about the NBA than the NBA knows about themselves. It's, it's, it's actual fact. I mean, they, they were tracking games in, in 1946, the first season, before the NBA thought about keeping their own records. So they have all kinds of historical stuff that nobody else has. So there's a lot of stuff out there. Obviously, we Google it a million different websites. Basketball Reference has a lot of stuff. Uh, there's a lot of stuff you can find on your own, but there's other stuff that literally there's nowhere else that you can find it other than the Elias Sports Bureau. So, so they're on with us during the game, and we can either call them or email or go in this chat room. And the nice thing about the chat room is all the guys that are doing the game. So if the, you know, the Lakers are playing at the Rockets or whatever, and they're in Houston. So uh, the studio can communicate with the game crew, and, and everybody can communicate in one little area, so that way we don't have to ask the same questions twice. So it's a nice way, you know, Technology has helped us to where we can also all easily communicate and, and, and you know share the same info. So basically, you know, you follow the what's going on in the game. And in terms of, uh, I work on inside the NBA obviously, but I also do baseball. I've done uh, done the college football. Uh, I do the NCAA basketball tournament. Um, but uh, so yeah, just it just depends on whatever season I'm working on. So. Um, I've worked with Ernie for the last 13 years, and um, you know everybody we hire is, is amazing. But Ernie is uh, there's nobody that's ever going to be more prepared than Ernie. I mean, he he spends so much time with all of his notes. He has binders full of stuff uh, on every team that he tracks every single day, updates during the season. He looks at all the box scores and and updates this stuff. And then whoever's playing that night, so if there's six games that night, then then he'll transfer transfer the stuff from the big binder over to smaller note cards for every team. So he has all this stuff. Uh, ready and prepared so I don't have to he already has all the nuts and bolts I mean uh, you know if there's a you know I, I'll I'll say hey did you see that that the Lakers were 39 and 0 when they have a league going into the fourth quarter and he'll be like yeah yeah thanks uh, I, I did but thanks for reminding me so 
uh, he already has a lot of that stuff. So my job is to go out there and, and just um, basically look, dig a little deeper and try to find stuff a little deeper because he's already going to have all the nuts and bolts. I mean, every single game that's going on, Ernie has uh, still, he tracks it by hand. He, he does all the play-by-play by hand. So he's going to know if, if the Rockets went on a 20-3 to run. I'll, I'll say, hey, did you see that? And 98% of the time, he, he did see it. So so then I can look a little deeper on, you know, somebody has a 25-point quarter, when's the last time that happened um, for the team, for the you know player, for the franchise? I mean, as, as you start to go and you see that it's, it's the first time it's happened on a smaller level, then you go deeper and you say, you know, within the league or within the last time it happened in the last 10 years or, or whatever. So, you know. You start out looking small, and then as you start to see that it's a record, then you start you know, going bigger and bigger. But uh, let me scroll back through here. Uh, where does the underdog nickname came from? Uh, come, where did it come from? Uh, it came from Ernie, Ernie Johnson. So like I said, he, uh, if, he's given a lot of people that work on the show nicknames, and if he gives you a nickname, it's sticks. So my last name is Underhill, and – He's a uh, Georgia Bulldog, and I'm a Gator, so I don't know if it was some kind of, uh, uh, you know, sly trick to give me a, a dog uh, nickname. I don't know, but um, but yeah. So my last name is Underhill, and he just came up with one day, and, and it stuck. So, uh, but there's there's probably ten people that work on the show that have gotten the nickname from Ernie, and it just kind of stuck. So, um, um. Oh, and to and to clarify something, I'm not the paint box guy. So how the, you know, I started to do little cameos the first, uh, you know, early on in the show because the producer at that time was was uh, was named Tim Kiley, and literally the first time that I I worked on a show, he said, "Hey, this show's different. We don't try to hide anything. If you have to give Ernie a note, just just take it out there." And I said, "Just like during the break," he said, "No, just run it out there in the middle of the show. I don't care." So I did. And um, literally the first time I ran out there, I didn't know Charles that well. I mean, you, you meet him, but Charles meets a million people, all, the, all those guys do. So um, you meet him in the back room or whatever, but I didn't work with him that closely yet. And he literally looked at me and said, who are you? <laughs> and then, you know, and so I hand, handed this stuff to, uh, to, to Ernie. And then, you know, anyway, so, so that, that was my first on-air appearance, just running stuff out in the middle of the show. Because, because at that time, uh, the game would end. And we would come directly from the game to, to the studio show without taking a break. Now, a lot of times we'll go to break first or we'll come to the studio. And we'll do a short little tease. And then we'll take like a you know, three, four minute break and then come back. At that time, there was no break. So if, if, um, you know, if the box scores weren't populated yet at that time uh, or if, if, you know, whatever, um, I hand him what's called a shot sheet. So when the game's over, um, all of the the highlight department does does the highlights upstairs in a different room. So somebody logs the game, and then an editor puts puts the puts the highlight together. And then after they have everything done, they write out what's called a shot sheet. So basically, Ernie, when he's looking at the the highlight, he has a, a brief description of everything that's uh, that's coming in the highlight. So you know, Le- LeBron passes to uh, to Kuzma and, and he hits a three. That uh, if that's in the highlight. That that's on the sheet. So every so everything is on there. So you know, chances are Ernie's already seen it during during the game because, like I said, he watches very closely. But it just it's just all on there to help him follow along with the game if he needs it. So, but that stuff is those guys finish it pretty quickly. But sometimes it's not ready in the first you know two or three minutes when the game's over. And at that time there wasn't a commercial break, so that's why I would go out there sometimes. Um, and then it just kind of you know went off from there. And then of course when Shaq got here like seven years ago. You know, he only knew a few people that worked behind the scenes at first. I mean, he knew obviously Tim Kiley and he knew me because, you know, helping him out with a few notes here and there. And he didn't realize there were 75 people to work on the show. And he just thought, I think TK and I did everything, which is obviously not true. <laughs> and so anytime he saw a funny paint box, he would say, underdog, put that on a T-shirt. And I actually had nothing to do with that. All the, all the great photos and all the, all the funny photos you see are all done by a guy named Alex Hooverus. And he was he's he worked on the show for ten years before I got here. He's done a great job, and and uh, but it's just funny. It's funny that Alex and I are good friends. So obviously, he didn't he never got offended by the fact that I was getting shout outs when he did something well. But yeah, early on, that that's funny how it worked. Is anytime Alex did something well, I would get a shout out. But just want to clarify that I have nothing to do with with all the funny pictures. That's all Alex Hoover's. But um, yeah, so there's a question from uh, Julian Winters. Uh, said I mentioned. Uh, struggling to get your yourself noticed early in your career. Yeah, I mean it's it's hard. There's I, I kind of put getting to the um, TV industry or a lot of 
you know, any good industry where a lot of people want to do it, it's almost like a pyramid effect. It's like you have all the, you have all the, the, the prospects at the bottom. Uh, so hundreds, you know, or thousands of, of, of qualified people. And it's basically whoever just, just is going to hold on to the top of the pyramid. I mean, I, when I was an intern with the Braves, I think we had probably 20 to 25 interns at different departments, whether it was sales, whether it was, you know, um, uh, marketing or, or whatever, uh, you know, game day operations, probably 20 to 25 interns that I work with. And I think there's only, there's less than five of us that are still in the industry, I think in sports industry. So it's hard. I mean, it's, and everybody there was, was very good at the, you know, it's hard to even get the internship. And then, and then once you become an intern, then you're competing with, with interns from all the other, say you want to stay in baseball, you're competing with interns from all the other 30 teams. Uh, so it's hard. I mean, it's, it's, you, there's a, you're going to be told no a lot, but you have to, basically just be aggressive. And like I said, I think it's important to have a, a goal in mind uh, to, to have, you know, where do you want to be? But I think early in your, early in your career, it's very important to be flexible with that. I mean, you don't want to turn down a good opportunity that may come along just because it's not on the perfect route to where you, your ambitions take you. Um, sometimes you need to, you know, if you want to be on air or something, you know, sometimes you need to take a job behind the scenes. I mean, I, um, uh, Brian Anderson, if you, if you look at his, his career path, I mean, he, he did journalism school last week, I believe. And, and, uh, he didn't start out as a, as a, as a play-by-play guy. I mean, he did behind the scenes stuff. I mean, sometimes you got to take a job that maybe you don't want, uh, but it's good for you. I mean, I mean, when, when I was, when I moved to Atlanta after, uh, when I was trying to break into TV, I did utility work, which basically, you know, dragon cable for the camera guy. I did. I worked on the the, the paint box, which uh, I mean, um, uh, the bug box, which if you're watching a game and, and uh, all the stuff, the score and all that kind of stuff that, that you see, all that comes from a machine called the called the bug box. And there's a there's a person running that. Um, so I did utility. I was a runner. I mean, I would go get coffee for people. I mean, early in your career, you just you just want to get your foot in the door and, and make connections. And it's funny how you'll see people, you know, and then you'll see them you know, early in your career, you'll see somebody and then you'll see him again 20 years later. I mean, um, our producer now, Jeremy Levin, um, I know he doesn't remember it, but when, when I first started going into the TV truck, when I was with the Braves, when Glenn Diamond invited me in there to kind of learn the industry, Jeremy Levin was the, uh, was the, um, associate director at that time. So the guy that was, you know, counting them in and out of break and, and doing all that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, I, first time I met him or I didn't really meet him, you know, didn't get to know him that well, but, but I, um, you know, saw him there in 2005 when I was going in the truck and now I work with him as the producer of the show I work on. So it's, it's funny how, you know, you just, you know, you keep those connections going. I mean, networking is important, but just, um, you know, you, you basically, you work hard, you got to be aggressive. I mean, you know, without me sending out, you know, uh, binders, the 30 teams in baseball and without flying from, you know, from Florida to California to go to the winter meetings and meeting with guys in coffee shops, my career wouldn't have got started. So you got to be aggressive, but you also have to be flexible in terms of what you're, what you're willing to do. I mean, just because you want to work and uh, if you want to be a, a director or whatever, and you get an early job as a runner, you should take it, you know, you know, and a lot of people that um, here at Turner sports, they started their career, you know, logging games upstairs. I mean, you just want to prove yourself along the way. And there's just a lot of people, that want to be in this industry and it's the people that are willing to kind of hang on. So, you know, uh, early on, you just kind of, you want to pay the bills and, and meet as many people as possible. Uh, best piece of advice I've received from someone in the industry. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of, you know, great advice. I mean, I, I think that um, especially early in your career, when you're trying to, uh, to start out, no matter what you're doing, you can try to be good at home, when you're not in the office. I mean, early when I was, um, like I said, I didn't take any TV classes in college. So I was, I was kind of trying to learn everything on the fly. So it was luckily research was an easy transition because when I worked in media relations, I would help with the game notes and all that kind of stuff. So that was one of the, the resources I use now, but I still didn't really understand exactly all the nuts and bolts of the job. So I, early in my career, I would watch games and I would basically just, I would just basically do notes at the house and, and say, Hey, you know, uh, you know, what's, what's interesting in this game. Typically, whatever's interesting um, to you watching a game is interesting to somebody else. So if somebody's having a big quarter, you know, you look it up and you say, hey, well, what's the last time he had 18 points in this quarter? Or, um, but um, director Matt Lipp, who I think did, did yesterday, I mean, he talked about practicing at the house. When he watched the game, he would, he would practice at the house and just visualize 
um, if he would cut cameras the same way as, as a director of the game he was doing. So you can you can kind of work on things before you actually have the job. So that way, when you go in, you have an idea of what's going on and, and you can put that 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 to work a little bit. So, um, you know, when you're sitting, you know, when you're sending resumes out, when you're trying to, you know, claw to get in the industry, you can also, you know, work on your skills by just kind of practicing at the house and just kind of, um, you know, just working on games there. Did I ever doubt myself? Yes, definitely. Doubted myself a lot early on. I mean, you get told a lot. You get told no more than you get told yes. I can promise you that. So, like I said, when I before I got the internship with the Braves, I was, you know, I wasn't able to get the job with with the Albuquerque Isotopes, and it crushed me. But luckily, but it ended up being the best thing that could have happened to me because I ended up going going to work for the Braves, and then the Braves ended up, you know, connecting me with TBS, and you know, kind of the rest is history. But um, and after the first year with the Braves, there was. I wasn't able to get a full-time job. I wasn't even able to get a second year internship. I mean, because a lot of, a lot of places, they don't want to, you know, to hire second year interns. They want to give somebody else a chance, which I understand. But, but you go from, you know, you think, you think that, all right, I'm, my foot's in the door. I'm ready to go. I just did a full season with the Atlanta Braves. We went to the playoffs that year. Um, it was an amazing experience. And you think that you're, you're there and then you can't even get another internship. So yeah, you, you, you start to doubt yourself. Um, but you know, if, that that's what that's when you prove yourself is when when things are, are not going well and you have to just keep you know keep fighting through it i mean i during uh, the time between my braves internship and the time i got into tv i wrote for a magazine called chop talk um i when i after, after i moved back to atlanta when i was trying to pay the bills when i was trying to break in the tv industry i would uh work the cash register the press box of braves games to to, to make you know eight bucks an hour or whatever to pay the bills i mean you gotta sometimes you gotta check your pride and just and just kind of keep just hanging on until you're able to get the break you, you need so uh do i ever wish i could be more in the spotlight than uh than behind the scenes no i think that i mean some people i think kind of fall into working behind the scenes that want to be in front of the camera i never wanted to be in front of the camera it's, it's funny because you know the the cameos that i do now and things like that it, that that never that's never why i wanted to be in this industry i just wanted to you know, I just wanted to work in sports. I wanted to, to enjoy every single day when I went to, to work. I just wanted to, you know, you know, I learned early on a quote that, you know, if, if you if you enjoy what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And it's the truth. I mean, there's a lot of hard work that goes involved in this. But then when you compare it to people that you know have real jobs, I mean, it's it's the best. I mean, if you're a sports fanatic, there's no better job than this. Than, than this. So, uh, yeah, but I mean, I think you just have to you have to go with whatever's in your heart and kind of go on that path. Uh, but no, my, I never wanted to be on, on camera. I wanted, I never wanted to be a, a play by play guy. I just wanted to kind of just, just be a part of it. And, and just, and like I said, uh, when I first got into TV, I'd never taken any, any, uh, any TV courses in college or anything. So it was all, it was all new to me. I didn't know basic terms like SOT, you know, um, or, or, or VO or voiceover, things like that. I didn't even know what, I didn't know what a shot sheet was, which, which is one of the main things that I worked with early on. I didn't know any, what any of that was. So I just kind of, you, know, you fake it till you make it. Honestly, you just, you just kind of, you know, you ask and you have to be, you have to have enough um, confidence to ask people questions too. You, if you just pretend like you know everything, you're not going to, you're not going to learn anything because, you know, you just, I mean, you obviously learn a lot through observing, but you also learn a lot by asking questions to people uh, in the industry. I mean, you know, so basically I would say, you know, find people that, that you trust and ask them as many questions as you can pick their brain. I mean, I, uh, early on, I would spend time in the highlights department. I would log games. So I'd learn how, you know, the highlight supervisor did all their stuff. And then, um, you know, I would, I would spend time. I, I've, I've worked in, uh, I've, I've, uh, worked in the AD chair for NBA TV. So I've, I've been in AD uh, games and I just gradually started to learn more and more about five, six years ago, I started to learn how to do features. I mean, I've just always been fascinated by documentaries. So I started to learn how to do features. So I would just go, I would go watch shoots and, and I would just kind of sit in the background with uh, like a fly on the wall. And then after the shoot was over, I would, I would, you know, I'd write a bunch of questions down during, during the shoot. And I would ask, ask questions afterwards and I would go sit in the edit for hours and just be like, why did you make this cut? Why did you do this? Or why did you do that? And why did you use this camera or whatever? So, I mean, just, if you have um, passion for the industry, you're going to constantly want to thirst for more knowledge. So uh, biggest misconception about uh, research. 
I think that maybe that uh, all research guys are stat nerds. I, I wouldn't consider myself a stat guy. I think I'm more of a, a storyteller. And I think if you talk to a lot of people in this industry, that that's kind of what we are, or storytellers. So although stats are important, if somebody's going off and having a crazy game, you need to know if it's important. But I think it's just as important uh, to know that, you know, the guy, you know, you know, his background story, you know, who, who kind of gave him his break early on, like who was the high school coach that, that would spend time with him, you know, until 9 PM, you know, working on his jump shot after practice who, you know, I think those are the kinds of cool stories and, you know, and people that had, you know, family struggles, and that kind of stuff. I think that stuff is as, as important as statistics are. I mean, you can't do this job without, without doing numbers. Um, but I think that, uh, yeah, I think that's a misconception that, that to do this, you have to be just, you know, major analytical and things like that. I mean, I, you know, you're in the numbers, you have to be in a number sum, but that's not what it's all about. I mean, I mean, Ernie will typically only read, uh, notes that I will give him that that's, that's easy to say and comprehend if it has more than one, um, more than one variable or two variables, it doesn't really, it's not as, I don't think it's as impressive. You have to keep going down the line and uh, to find a way to make it impressive, it's probably not that impressive to begin with. Uh, you know, for instance, like if, you know, if a guy, you know, hit two home runs uh, in, in May, uh, last guy to hit two home runs in May, okay, that, that could be something that's kind of weird that it would be May, but okay, maybe you're dealing with weather and all that. But then you say May uh, during the, you know, he hit two home runs in a game in May during the middle of a five-game winning streak. Once you start to go down all those rabbit holes, it's not, I mean, obviously you're going to eliminate so many other people, so it's not as important anymore, but that's kind of my, my philosophy on stats is, is um, you look at all the different angles to try to find, to see some, if something makes sense, if it's important, but you don't really want to make up something that's not there because I think the, the viewer will see right through you, honestly. Uh, funny off the show story. So honestly, I think anybody that's, that works on our show, um, the best stuff is the stuff that doesn't hit, that doesn't hit air. I mean, it, you know, oftentimes when you're watching our show and we're going to break, the guys are still talking. And oftentimes the, 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 the conversation that finishes in the break, which oftentimes is, is rated R, uh, is, is the funniest stuff. Because obviously, you know, our, we, do, we definitely don't put a muzzle on our guys and like they, they, they can say whatever they want, you know, to, to a certain extent. But I think all of our guys know where, you know, kind of know where the line is and, and the filter, you know, obviously no cursing and things like that, but there's only so far you can go on, on TV. So sometimes they'll give the, the PG 13 story on, on air and then they'll finish it when we go off, off air. So some of that stuff is, is the greatest, but then just, just side conversations. I remember um, doing the, the league championship series um, back in maybe 2008 or 2009. And I remember sitting in the hotel lobby and just kind of Cal Ripken walked in there and just kind of started holding court in the middle of the lobby. And it, there was probably like 50, you know, 50 coworkers that were down there listening to him and just listened to all the crazy stories that, that, that he had. Um, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that that's really, you know, that you remember, honestly, is, is all the kind of side conversations and things like that, because they can get so much deeper off, off the air. I mean, when, when you're in the middle of a show, you only may only have three minutes until you need to go to break. And so you kind of have to give the condensed version, but that that's the stuff that that's, that's really, um, that's, that's really great. But in terms of funny stuff, I mean, it's interesting you get to know these guys so well when you work with them a lot. I mean, Charles is the biggest uh, germaphobe in the world. So obviously right now we all need to be germaphobes with, with the coronavirus going on, but, but literally like his station in the studio, he always has a bottle of hand sanitizer right there. He's constantly cleaning not only his area, but like anything within his vicinity. Um, so um, yeah, I think he said his, his grandmother was a maid, uh, what was, you know, and that kind of um, just kind of instilled when they got home from work, they didn't want the house to be, to be messed up. So he always, he always as a, as a kid had to make sure the house was really clean when his, when his, when his uh, grandparents got there. So, uh, so, but anyway, but he, yeah, you learn things like that about, about people. Um, but <clears throat> how much travel is involved with your job? Uh, do I go on site? Yeah. We take the studio show on the road for, for big events. Um, so uh, typically we go opening night. Uh, we'll do a show from the road somewhere. So we've done it from New York City opening night. We've done it from uh, Golden State. We've done it from Cleveland. We've done it from, you know, was all of the, the production heads will get together and figure out what makes the most sense 
to kind of open up the season. But yeah, we'll, we'll go on the road for that. We'll go on the road for all-star every year. Uh, and then we go on the road for the conference finals. So there's a, there's a good bit of traveling, but it's not, uh, if you only work studio, it, it's not over the top. Um, a few years ago, I started field producing as well. So, uh, so I don't just work in the studio. It's probably 60% studio, 40% uh, field producing. So I'll go on the road and work with the sideline reporter. So we'll, uh, we'll go to shoot around and, and, um, and then, um, you know, we may do a report after shoot around. We may do a live hit with a, with an uplink truck or with a live view and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and then we'll, you know, help her, you know, uh, prepare for the game and, uh, just come up with storylines and what the report should be. And it's just, it's just teamwork on, on that aspect, just between the producer and, and the sideline reporter in terms of what, what's kind of the biggest story that we should cover that day. But, but when I started doing that, I started traveling a lot more. So, uh, I would say, um, I probably traveled about two or three times a month, uh, before everything kind of got shut down with the coronavirus, but, um, but yeah, it just depends on where you're at. Uh, and a lot of the way the industry is going, they do what's called Remy's now, which uh, a lot of times some of the smaller TV networks will um, do the whole thing other than they'll have two or three cameras on site, maybe five or six. I'm not sure exactly. And then most of the rest of the crew will be in a studio in another city somewhere. So as the kind of technology goes along, uh, as we start, you know, getting deeper into that, there'll probably be less and less travel with, with, with sports, but it kind of just depends on whatever you're your, uh, your industry is. And there's, you know, I do most of my research in the studio. Um, but there's, there are stack guys that, that spend their whole lives on the road. Basically we have a guy named Brian Taylor that always does, uh, work for us. And basically, you know, those guys will be on the road all year. So I think depending on where you want to go, uh, in your career and what's important to you, and you can kind of travel as little or, or as much as you want, depending on what, where your career path is. Um, you know, it, luckily, you know, it's easy for me. I don't have a wife or kids or anything like that. So it's, I don't have a, you know, I, have as, I don't have as many responsibilities when I leave, but I know uh, some people it's, it could be tough. I mean, when they have, you know, you know, three or four kids at the house and, and uh, so it, it could be tough for some people, but yeah, just, it kind of varies. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, as a researcher, what's, uh, I think he said, what, what's, um, what's one thing that people would be surprised to find out? Well, in terms of our show, um, how little actual um, statistics we, we do, uh, we use. I mean, our show is different in the fact that it's, it's unscripted. So Ernie uh, will come into the, the studio, uh, we'll have a production meeting about three hours before air. And Ernie, in terms of the guys, the talent, the, the broadcasters are on, on the air, Ernie's the only guy that actually comes into the meetings. So he has to be extremely, extremely prepared uh, because he's the only guy that's on camera that knows what's going to happen in the show. So not only does he have to know the script in terms of what's happening here and here, but he also has to have all of his statistics and everything ready in case guys ask him questions on the fly because they will. Um, so I've been working, you know, Kenny Smith has been working on the show the entire time I've been there. I don't hand him a box score. So uh, any box score. Um, so whether it's so some guys want quarter by quarter boxes, some guys want um, boxes for halftime uh, and post game. Some people only want post game box scores. Everybody kind of, kind of have a, Everybody has a different way of how they work, but he doesn't do any stats. Every now and then he'll ask me, uh, hey, uh, how many points does so-and-so have or whatever. So every now and then he'll want to know something, but he doesn't want to analyze the game based on the box score. And that's kind of, to different degrees, that's kind of how all of our guys work. We want them, they played, you know, whatever, 10, 15, 20 years in the league. We want them to react based on their past experiences, not based on, you know, a bunch of stats sitting in front of them. So I can't speak for a lot of, for studio shows, for a lot of other places around the country, but at Turner, we try to not be, you know, too stat driven. I mean, it's, you have to mention stuff, obviously, and Ernie has all the stuff there. But Charles doesn't come in with a bunch of stats. He just just wants to talk about, you know, what he wants to talk about. And it's, it's not based on looking at a bunch of numbers beforehand. So our show is different in that aspect. It, um, it's not that it's really not based on, on a ton of statistics. I mean, we'll have broad storylines, but it's Ernie's the only guy that, that kind of pays attention to the numbers on our show. The other guys just kind of watch and, and react and, and um, draw on past experiences. So you got about 20 more minutes here. Um, so yeah, just just keep the questions coming. But uh, if I don't get too many more questions, I might wrap it up here early. But uh, definitely enjoyed spending some time with you guys. Um, let me scroll back through here. So what do I suggest for someone in high school looking to get into business? I would say just again, just get your foot in the door. So go to the local news station and ask them if you can help 
you know, log things, um, you know, uh, go to um, go to the local college. If you want to work in sports uh, specifically, I would go to local colleges because so when I worked in the sports information office at the University of Florida, we had a massive staff for, you know, in terms of uh, how college athletics work. We had, you know, I think maybe like eight or 10 full-time uh, sports information directors. And then we had probably 25 student assistants helping out. That's not the case everywhere. When you go to a small college, especially when you're talking about like division three and division two and things like that, there may be one person that's in charge of everything. They may do every single sport and literally they're just trying to survive. They're doing media guides or they're, you know, they got to go to all the events. If you go to a local college um, and ask if you can help out with that, I guarantee you the answer is going to be yes. And you'll, you're going to learn so much more because they're going to rely on you to help them do the job. So I would say, you know, if you want to be in sports, go to, go to a local, um, go to a local college. I mean, most of the sports information directors you can find online. So, you know, find the person, send them an email if you want, you know, don't, rather than just showing up, but, you know, send them an email or, or, you know, call, you know, call and, and just ask if you can start helping out. And, um, and if they say no, there's probably other places you know, that will say yes. So just, just start uh, early on and, and get as much experience as you possibly can. Um, I got a kind of a late start because I didn't really actually know what all the, the careers were in sports, but the guy I spoke about earlier, Patrick Smythe, who's now with the Denver Broncos, he started doing a ton of stuff in high school. He, he did a bunch of writing. He got an internship with the, uh, um, you know, several places while he was in high school. So that definitely helps. I mean, when you, it's a lot easier to, to get your foot in the door at bigger places. If you've, if you've started out, um, you know, you got some experience because, you know, grades are important. You want to make good grades, but experience is more important than that. I mean, so, um, you know, just kind of just be aggressive. And there's there's places out there that will take you. You may not get paid to do it, but you eventually will if, if you put in the work. I mean, sometimes you have to you may have to do two or three internships where you didn't where you don't get paid, but it'll lead to somewhere down the road that's worth it. I promise you. So I regret taking uh, an opportunity in the industry that wasn't working for you. I don't really have any regrets. I mean, um, I, I really don't because I think that um, you're going to learn something everywhere you're at. Even if you're miserable, you're going to learn. Um, I mean, I've been in really healthy work environments. Turner's a great place to work, uh, but I've been other places that aren't the most healthy work environment. And you kind of you kind of learn that's not how you treat people or, or whatever in, in past experiences. I mean, I've been so blessed to be at Turner the last you know, 13 years and it's an incredible place to be, but other places I've been, you know, in the past weren't the greatest work environment and you kind of, you know, you learn from that, but, um, you're going to just, no, I, I don't have any regrets on any stops I've made because, because they all kind of led me to where I am. But, um, it's funny going back to, to, you know, to kind of look at your path, uh, because you talk to anybody in the industry, I was watching Scott Van Pelt's, uh, uh, entry on um, EJ's journalism school. And I think he said that he didn't even get into the journalism college at Maryland. And then he found himself years later giving the commencement address at the, at the college. So it's funny how things like that work. So, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's nobody's path is the same. I mean, everybody kind of has a different path. Favorite part of my job. Um, I mean, it's, it's a dream job, honestly. Um, I love to travel, honestly. Um, when I was growing up, I uh, grew up in a great family, um, but um, we didn't take a lot of uh, far trips. Most of our trips were honestly just drives from, from Florida to the, the Georgia mountains. Um, and I always kind of wondered what was out there. I watched you know, a lot of documentaries and read a lot and things like that and, and loved history. And I just always kind of wondered what was out there. And now I think with I've been to every, within the first probably seven or eight years of, of working here, I went to every major city in the United States, and I've been to some of them, you know, 20, 30, 40 times. So I love the travel part of it, but just the unique experiences that, that, that you kind of have. I mean, I remember as a kid sitting in my living room watching Cal Ripken break the uh, all-time games played record, and then years later I ended up working with him, and he actually threw me batting practice during, uh, you know, during <laughs> – um, you know, during some downtime. I mean, Ozzie Smith was was one of my favorite people to watch growing up, and I ended up interviewing him for feature. I mean, those types of experiences are just, you know, you just kind of, after they're over with, you just kind of think back, like, is that real? I mean, I, 
I owned a, a dream team jacket with Charles Barkley on it. And now I've worked with him for the last you know, 12, 13 years. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot to, to like about, you know, the job, but um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just blessed. I mean, it's, it's uh, I've been, I'd say the last 12, 13 years have been the best of my life. I mean, it's been, uh, it's, it's been a good ride. Let's see where we are on time. Got a few more minutes here, but if anybody has uh, some more questions, please keep them coming. Um, but, but yeah, so like I said, I'm a researcher. I'm also a field producer, which uh, entails going out with the, the sideline report and helping them then prepare, doing live shots, um, and also uh, produce features. So, um, and again, that's that's coming from somebody that, that when they started they didn't even know what a what a VO was, a voiceover. I mean, it just it's uh, it's like I said, I've been blessed. Give another minute or two for questions, and I'll uh, wrap it up. But I appreciate everybody spending spending some time with me today. Um, again, I'm just uh, one of about 50, 75 people that work on the show, and uh, and Ernie gave me a nickname years ago, and then kind of kind of took off from there. But there's so many people that that, that work on our show; they're very, very talented and working on the show longer than me. So I feel very blessed that he asked me to. Uh, Join you guys today because there's uh, there's many many talented people that could have uh, given you just as much if not more insight than me. So when an entry level candidate keeps hearing the word no, uh, gets rejected, how should they react? Um, you just have to keep fighting. I mean, if it's important to you to be in this industry, you got to keep fighting. Um, so you know it, you're going to find out soon if you've heard no a few times um, whether whether it's important to you to to, to keep fighting important to self-reflect i mean if if all right sorry about that again my first time doing this on twitter so i'm a little uh definitely not an expert on it but um it's i've just finished the question i was answering earlier just uh self-reflect as well i mean if you know i'd say analyze your be able to you know analyze your own resume does do you think it stacks up with other people are there other things that you should be doing um so and again especially early on there's a lot of people, you know, it's hard to find sometimes paid work, but there's, it's not hard to find unpaid work. And the more unpaid work you do and the more uh, experience you get, the easier it is to, to, to keep moving in this industry. And, you know, most of the jobs that I've gotten were based on recommendations from past people I worked with. And some of those jobs were, were, um, were unpaid. So I would say just, you know, um, it's, I think it's human nature to get, down at times when you keep hearing no, but well, you just got to keep fighting through it if it's important to you. Favorite sporting event I've covered, um, man, uh, there's been a lot of great ones. I would say the 2016 national championship game when uh, he hit the shot at the buzzer. Villanova hit the shot at the buzzer to win the national championship. I mean that, you know, the the more that you <laughs> work in this industry, sometimes you don't appreciate, I guess, some of the the great moments that you see because you you're around it a lot, but that, I mean, that, to see a, a buzzer there, um, in a, you know, football stadium, you know, filled with 80, you know, 80, 90,000 people, um, that, that was pretty, that was pretty amazing. Uh, that was a great one. I, I saw, uh, I saw LeBron hit a buzzer beater against, uh, Orlando in the conference finals, maybe 2009 or 2010, um game two i saw damian lillard i was i was uh, in portland when he hit the shot and then 2014 i believe to, to knock the rockets out of the playoffs so i've seen i've seen some i've seen some great games i um in terms of i mean i could, like i told you early on i'm a big baseball guy uh one of the craziest baseball games i ever saw was the 2008 uh, american league championship series we were in boston for uh for game five and i want to say boston was down like six or seven runs in the second inning and facing elimination. And literally you saw people kind of just packing up small things in the background, just, you know, cause obviously when, when we're going to leave a city, there's a, there's a strike involved, like a lot of cables and things like that, 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 uh, that people have to, to pack up and it takes hours to do, but you saw people just kind of, just, just kind of getting things ready. Like, you know, obviously doing their job, but you know, working on the pregame show, once the pregame's over, you had some downtime during the middle of the game. But everybody just kind of thought we were going home. Everybody thought the series was over. Anyway, the Boston came back. They ended up winning the game uh, late in the game. And uh, I want to say Poppy hit a, hit a home run or something to, to, to end it. But uh, then the series ended up going seven games, but that was amazing. But uh, I grew up a, a, a 
Florida football fanatic, and I saw a ton of great games in, in the Spurrier era um, that just kind of uh, they can't be beat. I mean, that, that's kind of where my my uh, just kind of my passion for sports came when I was a kid. I started going to Gator games when I was about like uh, eight, nine years old. I remember a little bit of Emmett Smith, but the but the, kind of my start in it was was the C Spurrier era, and uh, kind of there's just nothing about nothing kind of can compare to a um, you know, 80,000 seat stadium with, uh, you know, in a big time game, but, um, there's a, I've definitely seen a few big sporting events, a professional sporting, uh, a mistake I made in the, uh, in this job. Um, so I'd say the most important thing for my job is accuracy. And if you uh, are not factually correct, people are going to quickly lose faith in you. And when you hand them a note, they're going to second guess it. And it's kind of hard to get that back. So if you want to be, honestly, in any part of the sports industry, you need to be uh, accurate. But, but in my job, it's, it's one of the most important things is accuracy. And early on, I made a couple of mistakes. I, I gave Ernie some, some wrong notes. And, um, and I think it took a while to, to build that trust back because I think you just don't realize you want to be right. But it's one of the hardest things to do is, is, to, is to double check yourself. It's much easier to double check somebody else than it is yourself because just inherently you want to think you're right. Uh, you want to think that, that you didn't make a mistake. So it's hard to double check yourself, but it's very important too, um, especially when something's on, on deadline because you want to get it, you want to do it quickly. But if it's not right, none of it matters. So I'd say early on, I made some, you know, made a couple factual and mistakes still happen. You're never going to, you're never going to go throughout a season without making a mistake in any part of this industry. But, um, but I think it's, you know, you can either pout about it or you can, you can self-reflect and you can say, I'm better than that. And that's not going to happen again. And then you just kind of, you try to be better the next time. But, um, but yeah, I'd say some factual errors early in my career that kind of made me realize that this can't continue to happen or that I'm not going to be here much longer. Uh, well, I appreciate everybody spending their time with me. And um, if anybody wants to, uh, to send me a note and has other detailed questions, feel free to, uh, to contact me. Uh, my email is joe, J-O-E, dot underhill, U-N-D-E-R-H-I-L-L, at turner.com, T-U-R-N-E-R.com. But thanks again, everybody. It was a blast. I uh, really appreciate Ernie asking me to do it. It's uh, working for him for the last... 12, 13 years has been, has been amazing. I mean, I think most of you guys know his story about, um, you know, his family life and, uh, and, and, you know, um, you know, he's adopted children and he's just, and it's just, uh, you know, it's very, uh, faith oriented person. He's just, uh, I think he makes all of us, all of us better in, in, uh, in our own lives. And, and, uh, but I really appreciate him giving me this invite because like I said, there's a lot of talented people that work on our show, uh, that could have, uh, you know, that could have gotten the invite as well. So thanks again, guys. I uh, appreciate it. And uh, please contact me if you have any questions. Thanks. Thank you for tuning into this episode of VJ's Game Plan. For more information on today's guest and breaking into the sports media industry, go to our website, www.ejsgameplan.com. Tune in every week to hear from more guests on their experience in the media industry. EJ's Game Plan is brought to you by Ernie Johnson Jr., the University of Georgia's new media institute and Grady Sports.